Welcome back to the middle of culture. I'm one of your co-hosts, Peter. And I'm your other co-host, Eden. Eden, how you been? How has the uh, end of the year and and all of that been treating you? You know, uh, I was in bed asleep by 1015 on New Year's Eve. So good for you. I think that's a success. (laughs) You know, I think it was 1030 for me. So I would agree. You know, I just don't. Some, a friend invited us over and they were like, it's going to be real low key. We'll just have some food, some drinks. We'll put out a puzzle. And about seven 30 Cassie was like, so should we go over to our friend's house? And I was like, if you want to, I will put on (laughs) pants and go to our friend's house. And then Cassie was like, no, I just want to go to bed. And I was like, sweet, let's go. (laughs) So she was in bed asleep by eight. Oh, good for her. Good for her. She, here's the thing. This happens to lots of us. You know, this is a phenomenon that is discussed a lot, especially among teachers. But like, I think that it's true of lots of people, especially if you ever get a little break, you know that a break is coming up. You know, Cassie had the week between Christmas and New Year's off entirely. The child care center she worked at was closed. So she was like, I got a whole week off. So like, she was good. Everything was going okay. She was like, I just got to power through this last week. And then I got time off. Saturday after that week before Christmas. She got sick. Bam. Not sick, but just like exhausted and spent the next like five days sleeping 12 to 14 hours a day. Yeah. Because she was like, I can't move my body. I'm just so tired. I'm just, yeah, (laughs) just usually it is sick. I was surprised it didn't turn into a cold, but this time it was not a cold. Usually she gets a cold or the flu. Well, that's good. I'm glad she didn't get sick. Yeah, but how you all been? Uh, we've been doing all right. You know, it's been low key. I've been off this week, so I've been doing uh, a bunch of reading and trying to do some writing and wrap up my book from NaNoWriMo. I have not finished it, but I am making progress. So other than that, nice. it's just been nice to uh, not have to go to work. So I won't, I won't press you on like significant details on the second novel is it related to that first one you wrote last year two years ago or is it a totally new thing totally new totally different Um, what i'll say is it is a sci-fi medical mystery sort of story okay that sounds fun so decided to take it in a little bit of a different direction this year nice that's very cool yeah But uh, anything you've been checking out in these last couple of weeks? Anything that uh, has jumped out at you that you wanted to talk about? Yeah. um, So I talked last episode about how I randomly got that that manga, the first volume of the I'm in love with the villainess manga, correct? Yes. Um, Well, I bought the rest of it because I enjoyed that first volume so much. So I read all the rest of that. I'm caught up to what has been released in English, which is the first five volumes. 
Um, and it remains delightful. I had a very good time with it. Um, a good enough time that I then turned around and bought the light novel series upon which the manga and anime are both based. Mm. Um, and just earlier today, I finished the first volume of the light novel. Uh, and then the rest are in transit. We'll hopefully get here in the next week or so. So it was very light, very easy reading, um, which is good to offset, you know, the reading I've been doing for my job, which, you know, nothing too heavy. Just reading Paulo Freire's Pedagogy of the Oppressed. Oh, no big that deal. Sounds, you know, easy, you know, just like here's the thing. That's toilet reading right there. Here's the thing. It's very good. It's like trenchant thought, but it is quite heavy. So it's been nice to uh, mix Pedagogy of the Oppressed with I'm in love with the Villainess Volume 1. So did that. And then the only other thing I'll mention in that same sort of vein is, so I, I don't know if we've talked about Webtoons as a concept really on this podcast. Are you familiar with Webtoons and how Webtoons work and how you read them and stuff like that? We have talked about this a little bit, but it's been a while. Okay, so just as a refresher, Webtoons are designed basically to be read on a phone. So they're really heavy in like vertical, like paneling and vertical layout because they're designed to be read, you know, scrolling on your phone in a portrait uh, orientation. I don't feel like that's really conducive to the format. I don't really like reading webtoons really. Um, just doesn't really work for me. A lot of, I feel like there's often a lot of wasted space because of like having to plan it for scrolls rather than when you have a full page that you know is going to be a full page and people can see the whole full page at once. You just create things differently. So I've never really been a webtoons person, <laughs> but a friend of mine was like, Hey, this webtoon that I really like is being moved from like, I, there's like basically two tiers of access on webtoons and there's lots, webtoons is both a specific format and also, or a specific website and then other websites that also do in that format. It's kind of a general term like like Kleenex or Xerox or things like that. Sure. Um, but webtoons, the specific like platform, the specific portal has basically a two tiered system of like people can upload their own stuff. If it's a little less well known or hasn't really gotten popular, then as a reader, you can read it as you will. Like you can read as much of it as you want all at once. However much of it is there. But then for the higher value or the more interesting or the ones that get more readership or the premium stuff, they have it behind a system where you, it basically unlocks a new chapter you can read every day and you can pay to unlock those chapters faster. But in theory, you're like, oh, I get to go read my one chapter a day, which is some real bullshit as far as I'm concerned. But whatever. Like, just make people pay for the whole thing. That's this chapters that sure. not this like microtransaction version of letting me read the fucking book. Um. Anyway, my friend pointed out that this uh, webtoon that she was a very big fan of was moving from the uh, all-access version to the gated version at the start of the new year. So she was like, if you are interested in reading this comic, I definitely recommend you do it before January 1st, because then it's going to be a pain. So I read the whole thing over the course of like two days, um, and the <laughs> one that I read was called I had to do it. I, I saw this on like Wednesday before the new year. So I had to do it. Sure. I had no choice. Um, and so it's called mage and demon queen. And it is, 
definitely in the same realm as I'm in love with the villainess in that there is one very determined person who is head over heels for another person who does not necessarily share those same feelings yet. Um, and so there is this mage who has fallen in love with the demon queen. And so she is doing everything in her power to try to woo the demon queen. Um, and so it starts as a very lighthearted uh, comedy. You know, she she goes to the demon tower and like makes friends with all of the generals of the demon army so that she's able to just bypass all of the combat and make it up there and try to hit on the demon queen so that she'll fall in love with her. Um, and so it's like lighthearted stuff like that. But then obviously, you know, as serialized media often does, it gets more involved and more intense. And uh, I thought it was really entertaining. I really enjoyed myself, really fell in love with the characters in that story to such a degree that after I finished it, I started an alt character in Final Fantasy XIV named after and styled after the main character <laughs> from Mage and Demon Queen. That's awesome. So I have been replaying the early missions of Final Fantasy XIV on a new server in a new, you know, guild with a bunch of new people. And I just got invited to this guild. I made this character, was walking around in the main city, like starting with this new character. And someone was like, yo, it's Mallory from Mage and Demon Queen. And I was like, <laughs> yes, I am. And then they were like, come join our guild. And I was like, uh, okay. Uh, so that was, that was fun. Uh, but I've been having a lot of fun seeing a lot of the early stuff in final fantasy 14 that I haven't seen in like years at this point. Um, and kind of seeing it through fresh eyes in preparation for this new expansion that comes out this summer that we'll find out a bunch of new information about this weekend at the fan fest. Um, so it's also kind of reading mage and demon queen and falling in love with those characters has also kind of reignited my interest in final fantasy 14, which I had kind of put on the back burner for the last few months. So okay. that's what I've been up to. What about you? Um, so I, I've been reading, I'm getting close to halfway through uh, book 13 of the wheel of time, which considering that that's like 450 pages, uh, I'm, I think that's I'm a lot good uh, to be almost halfway through and it's good. It is again, um, book, 11 kind of started to pick up but book 12 again when when Sanderson kind of took over and finished the series with Robert Jordan's notes and and what he had already written uh, it really is picked up and a lot of that has to do with some characters that I really didn't care for some issues with them being figured out and kind of taken care of getting back to the point where again we all know I can like the characters again. So I'm, I'm into it. Um, been reading that, uh, been doing a, a lot of, you know, trying to, uh, learn some working on my German, uh, this week. Nice. I decided I was going to take advantage of the time off to try and, um, graduate out of the Ruby league that I am currently in. And it is frustrating because I'll do a lot and then I'll still get knocked down a couple places. So it's keeping oh, me on my toes. I'm spending a lot of time learning German this week while I can, because I know next week that's going to go away. Um, been doing some writing, been doing some reading, um, been trying to play a little bit of games, trying to get back into Starfield now that my desktop honestly just runs it like a dream. It's buttery smooth. Oh, um, <sighs> that's not a great game. It's not a great game. It's not, you know, the more I think about it, it's one of those games that like, 
I talked about it when I played it when it very first came out, sure. and I was like, I like this game quite a bit. It's one of my favorite Bethesda games, and the more time I've spent away from it, that feeling has definitely cooled. I, I do not think it's one of my favorite Bethesda games anymore. It's fine, um, and that is the most damning with faint praise thing I could possibly say. Well, so here's the thing. I, I haven't loved previous Bethesda games, but I have... We'll use Skyrim as sort of the example because Skyrim, I think, is where, you know, Bethesda seemed to just really nail it. They they hit their stride. They kind of things came together in a way that maybe not better than in other games, but I think enough things were better than in previous games that it opened up the door to a lot of people sure. who would not have been able to get into you know, kind of the, the grindy, weird and janky as fuck Bethesda games. I mean, I still, oh, yeah. every time I go into Aquila city, some guard will spawn without any clothes and just be patrolling you with his rifle. Believe it. Um, like every time I go into that city does not matter anyway. Um, you know, but at least in Skyrim, while yes, you could fast travel. The world was interesting enough that you didn't always want to, you know, if you were on, uh -huh. if you were like, look, I got to get here. I know where to go. Then sure. You would fast travel, but there was a lot to be discovered wandering around that world. The world of Starfield yeah. is so empty and you land on it these truly, planets yeah. and it's like the only way you're like, I have a starship for shit's sake. But if I want to go, uh, you know, a kilometer or two over this direction to figure out this anomaly. I'm, I'm hoofing it the whole way. I yeah, mean, come it's on real dumb mass effect in whatever 2000. And I don't know when the first mass effect came out, but at least you had the 2008 freaking Mako that you could drive yeah. around those planets on. And I'm like, so there's zero incentive to me to explore a planet when I land on it, other than go to whatever the thing is that I went to that planet for. And then it's yeah. like, Again, the planets just feel so vacant that I finish that. And as soon as I get to a point where I can like open the quest and hit R to plot to the next one and skip the getting back to my ship and the getting on my ship and the taking off and the flying because it's so empty. Like, I don't yeah. know. I keep telling myself I want to finish it before I move on to something else, but I don't know thing. why. <laughs> don't don't bother if you're not having here's the thing with how limited your gaming time is don't bother playing a game you're not having a good time with if you just have hours like okay finish it but like that ain't your situation yeah so like go play something good <laughs> i think the problem is is that i want to play Baldur's gate 3 but that game scares me because <laughs> because it's so big there's too you just much gotta to take there. You just got to take the plunge. Yeah, Look, someone's got someone's got to give smooches the Carlac. I'm not doing it because I'm not paying more than $20 for that game. <laughs> so someone's got to smooch Carlac. So that's you, dog. You got to go romance that beautiful demon lady. All right, well, like I say, we'll see. Uh, I, I may bust through the end of uh, Starfield in the next few days before I get back and then move on to something else. But other than that, that's kind of been about it. So uh, nice. So for our topic today, um, I thought it might be fun for us as this is the official. Now we've had some, some little ones here and there, but officially for our official numbered episodes, this is episode number 50 and this is nice. our second full year. You know, we started 
in January of 2022. And so here we go back around year number two. I thought it might be fun to kick off sort of the way we started this thing. And that would be talking about some of our favorite music from 2023. Now I did send Eden a little heads up about how I was approaching this in fear that I might dominate this. Cause I had, I was making my list and I had a lot of stuff to talk about, but, uh, I think Eden's come up with some, uh, some, what sounds to me like an idea that I'm looking forward to hearing about because I think it'll be fun, but I've got some disappointments, some honorable mentions, and then not really a top 10. I mean, it's like my top 10 albums, but I didn't rank them other than what's number one. So I know you have a handful how do you want me to do this? Do you want me to dump my disappointments and then we kind of start going or do you want me to do those and honorable mentions or, or what do you want to do? How do you want us to approach this? So you have a top 10, correct? Uh, it is. I have 10 things in my top. Yes. Okay. Cause I have 15 awards to give out. Okay. So if well, you have some, give us a couple disappointments. I'll give an award. Give us a couple more disappointments. I'll give an award. Give <laughs> us some it. honorable mentions. I'll give an award. Let's do it. So I'm going to start with, I'm going to give you two. Let's go. I'm going to go three albums that fall into the disappointment category, not because they're bad albums. In fact, most of the albums in my disappointment category, I don't actually think are genuinely bad albums. It's just their bands that either I have clicked with a lot more in the past, or they've done stuff that I think is a lot better than what they did recently. And so I, I was disappointed by these albums. Does that make sure. sense? So yeah, it makes perfect sense. At the top of that list, I'm going to put out the album Anesidora by the band Esol. Esol, you know, Anesidora is a damn good doom album. It really, really is. You know, it might even be a great Doom album, but the problem is, is their previous album, Dystopia, came out of nowhere. I was not familiar with this band at all, and I loved Dystopia so, so much that Anesidora just feels like it's, I don't know, it's a big step down for me. And even though it's, it's a big step down because the album before it was so, so good, I just, mm -hmm. you know, I listened to the hell out of dystopia and Anesidora, I've maybe listened to the whole album like two or three times and I was pumped. Mm. I was super pumped when it was announced because it was new Esol, And then uh, this one came out. So I still think it's a good album and there's a decent chance that if I really, really like spent some time with it, it could move out of this, but it just, it didn't grab me in the way that dystopia did. And so it. It, and sadly ends on this list. Um, okay. Next one I'm going to say is the uh, album Newman by Alkaloid. Uh, Alkaloid is sort of a progressive death metal supergroup. It's got a bunch of people from very well-known death metal groups. And their first couple of albums um, were really, really good. Uh, the Malkuth Grimoire and Liquid Anatomy. Newman just again, I still think it's probably a good album, but it didn't grab me. Those other two albums of theirs I listened to so much. And this one, again, I don't think I've made it through start to finish. I don't listen to it and go, oh, this is bad. It just hasn't interested me. The other one I'm going to put in that same category is the latest album, Fauna by Hacken. Uh, Hacken is this progressive metal band from, British, from Britain. 
you know, they just sound British to me. It's one of those things where it's kind of weird, but if you like put them on and be like, Oh yeah, these guys are British. They're, they're interesting. They, I think this is a, again, I know a lot of people who really, really like Hacken and their previous two albums, uh, Vector and Virus turned off a lot of their previous fans because they were heavier. They were more focused and they were less, a little goofy. Mm -hmm. That was actually why I liked them so much because the goofiness that occasionally Hacken would throw into their songs kind of put me off. And so I love virus and vector and fauna is a little bit more kind of like the mountain and previous albums of theirs where it's really good, but it's inconsistent. So you'll have these really, really great moments that again, kind of, and I don't want to say this because we, you know how I feel about this, but it reminds me of the times when Jordan Rudess would put that just damnable, awful ragtime piano sound in the middle of a dream theater song. <laughs> that would just like dude pull you out of it and you're like where is this coming from this is nowhere near as bad as that but it recalls that same sort of vibe to me and so again fauna just didn't do it for me so all right let's the, hear your first award the psychic damage bringing up jordan rudess's bullshit ragtime just did to me god <laughs> do you remember I was talking oh, with my coworker God. about Dream Theater just the other day, and he was making fun of them. And I was like, you should make fun of them because they fucking suck. But yes. do you remember when they were good? Yes. Do you remember images and words? Do you remember Awake? Awake. Oh. And then they so weren't ever good, good again. <laughs> so good. Anyway, that, that's those are my feelings on uh, apparently Mike Portnoy is back. Look. I'm just going to say it. Dream Theater went down the shitter when Jordan Rudess joined the band because I'll even give him, I'll even give him that album, maybe two. With Sherinian with on Derek it. Sherinian. They're still okay. But man, as soon as Jordan Rudess joined the band, it was just like flush the toilet. They're done. Yeah. He's not good. He's not good at the job of being additive to a band's sound. He is instead trying to shine like some terrible blinding blue spotlight that makes me want to vomit. But yep. anyway, he's just a wanker. My That's first the only award for it is wanker. That's yeah, absolutely. Also, I heard Mike Portner's back in the band. Not that I care, not that I'm going to listen, but okay, bud. Yeah. Yep. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> uh, my first award, uh, my first award, I, I had some trouble deciding on a title for this award. But we're going to go with the Sorry You Died Award. <laughs> okay. Um, and this goes to uh, Jamie Branch for her posthumous release, Fly or Die, Fly or Die, Fly or Die, open two parentheses, World War, close two parentheses. Okay. Uh, this is an incredible avant-garde uh, jazz album. Uh, Jamie Branch was a trumpet a trumpeter. Um, incredible. She would, would have, had she not died of an overdose last year, she would be still, I, I would bet in 10 years, she would be the face of avant-garde jazz. And in 20 years, people would be like, she's one of the greatest trumpeters to ever live. Mm. Unfortunately, she passed away from a, an accidental overdose a year and a half ago. 
Um, so here we are with the posthumous third release from her and her quartet, which is named Fly or Die. It's the third release. That's why it says Fly or Die three times. Um, it's incredible. It is absolutely heartbreaking to think about because I see so much promise and so much hope for the future of avant-garde jazz in this album. You know, she mixes some of the most, uh, like, propulsive trumpets you've ever heard along with vocals and, like, brings a little bit of, like, psychedelia to it and has just a really broad musical sonic horizon to the album uh and it just is a real bummer that she passed away uh because it's incredible um and i'm sad that we'll never get any more music from her Mm. okay well i'm gonna throw out the rest of my disappointments and then uh we can we can get another award from you so again the next three i'm gonna say are again disappointing mostly because of where the band has previously been and the first one of those is the band id.entity yes that is correct uh, also could okay. be called identity uh, by the band riverside now look i felt really hard for riverside with their first two albums their third one was good and then their fourth album anno domini high definition also known as adhd was their best it was an absolute incredible progressive rock slash metal album and then they kind of started to go poppy a lot a lot a lot i don't know just less interesting to me and yeah uh, identity kind of continues that idea that's it's too bad better than their last few it's got a little more punch to the sound it's not quite as dreamy but it still just doesn't grab me the way those first, really those first four albums, right up to ADHD by Riverside. Freaking love those albums. This one, yeah. it's better than they have been, but still just doesn't pull me in. Uh, the next one, Sky Void of Stars by Catatonia. It isn't bad. Yeah, man. It's just fine. And because Catatonia has done so much better than fine, Anything that's less than that, ugh. I mean, their last two albums, this one and City Burials, coming off of the heights that was the one before that, whose name now escapes me. Um, just again, not a bad song, not a bad album, just fine. And, and then there's the album Emergence by this little band from Colorado, Source. I stumbled on their first album a number of years ago and fell really hard for it. It's kind of, especially their first album was kind of, it was in that tool worship vein that a number of albums uh, or, uh, you know, bands have done and, and I loved it. And then their next three albums, just uh, the biggest problem with emergence is the sound of the guitar. Well, okay. And maybe the sound of the bass. Well, and also the sound of the drums. Okay. never mind. Oof. This album would, I think, actually be pretty good if the production wasn't dog shit. But the production is dog shit. I mean, it just, the drums sound thin and just really, really tinny. Uh, Not like, we're not talking Saint Anger bad here. No, I mean, come on, not that. But they just don't have any punch to them. I mean, that's so bad. (laughs) And then the bass has this weird kind of fuzzy tone, but it it clashes with the guitar that, again, just has this, mm, anyway... 
it's too bad because they didn't have those problems. Their first album didn't have those problems, but the, the production on the last few has just really left something to be desired. All right. Now, here we go. I'm going to name bad. my one that I think is legitimately bad. Now, okay. how familiar are you with the band Sleep Token? Not. Okay. I stumbled on Sleep Token at some point last year. They had two previous albums and I loved them. They're not perfect. They're a little uneven, but it was this really cool mix of like metal, but kind of poppy. And I dug it. And then they started releasing some singles and then their new album, take me back to Eden came out and the whole album is just a mess. I don't want to spend too much time talking about it, but imagine if imagine dragons sucked more than they suck. That's impossible. That's that's sleep token. Take me back to Eden. It's, it really is. It's like, what if when we want to rock, we can sound pretty okay. But then every time we're not heavy, even in the least, we sound like an Imagine Dragons knockoff band. That's the worst thing I've ever heard of in my life because nothing makes me want to die more than hearing Imagine Dragons. Also, I didn't give you permission to take anyone back to me, so go away, <laughs> a terrible band. Go away. Yeah, this is just dog shit. It is a bad, bad album. That's too bad. All right, let's get another. Why don't you give us two? Okay, I'll give you two. Um, and the first one, I did not mean to put the two sad awards right next to each other. <laughs> it just happened. But apparently I did. It just happened. Uh, my first one is the Tearjerker Award, which goes to Javelin by Sufjan Stevens. Uh, if you don't know who Sufjan Stevens is, he's an indie rock, indie folk darling. He's been around for the last 25 years. He's put out some really incredible shit over the years. I have been a fan of his for quite a while. Um, you know, Illinois, his album is one of the best albums in all of the history of indie rock. Uh, and Carrie and Lowell, his album from 2015 is one of the most beautiful and sad and, and just uh, meditative and contemplative albums you'll ever hear. This is kind of in that vein Javelin is. Um, Carrie and Lowell was the album he wrote after the death of his mother. And Javelin is the album he wrote after the death of his long-term partner. Um, and it really hurts to listen to while being just... Uh, elegiac and and beautiful and you can hear the pain in his voice as he sings these beautiful songs about his partner who he clearly loved so much and like is a part of himself that he had always kept so private because there was always like this talk about how oh Sufjan Stevens he's definitely gay oh so listen to seven swans and tell me this isn't a gay man and it's like okay, but he's never come out. He's never been public about his relationship status or anything like that. And the time, the way that he chose to come out is to announce the death of his long-term partner, which is so heartbreaking that like he felt like he needed to hide it, felt like he needed to hide this person, and now this person has passed away. And it happened almost simultaneously with a really, really terrible um uh, sickness that he had. Um, he had been diagnosed with, uh, I don't know how to say this, uh, Guillain-Barré syndrome, uh, muscle weakness syndrome. Yep. Hey, 
Yeah, so like he has had to completely relearn how to walk. So this is what happened to him. His partner dies. He goes into the studio to record this album, and then he gets this disease that makes his muscles all atrophy, and he is currently learning how to walk again. And in the middle of that, he puts out this album that just like rips your heart out as you're listening to it. It's just incredible stuff. Wow. Um, and then the next one, uh, since I'm doing two, is the uh, the title is the album with the combination of best title and fattest beats award, <laughs> um, and that goes to the album "Scaring the Hose" by JPEG Mafia and Danny Brown. Um, JPEG Mafia is an incredible producer. Uh, he does some of the weirdest, like most uncomfortable beats you'll hear in hip hop. And then Danny Brown is rapping over the top of them doing just some of the weirdest shit you'll ever hear. It's really weird avant-garde hip hop. Um, that is just incredible to listen to. Uh, I had a thoroughly, um, entertaining time listening to this album this year. Um, and also it's called scaring the hose and that is fun to say. And the beats are very (laughs) fat. It's a very good album. So what's next on yours? So I'm going to break my honorable mentions up into two sort of big blocks and categories. Uh, I'll Sounds do good. one uh, and then the other. The, the the one's not quite as big. The other's really big. And you'll see why it's so big. There's, there's a theme going on here. Well, right. The first one I want to throw out is the album Alchemy for the Dead by Spotlights. Uh, have you ever listened to Spotlights, Eden? I have not. Ah, well, Spotlights is this really cool band. I think you dig them. You should check them out. It's kind of shoegazy, a little doomy, a little post-metal. It's just really atmospheric, very sort of, again, it's got that low-key kind of shoegaze vibe, but is really heavy. Not in a heavy, like really heavy guitars, but just like the atmosphere that it creates is just this really kind of... So Alchemy for the Dead, they had another, um, they had an EP that came out before the full album. And actually both of those came out this last year. Fantastic. Spotlights is one of those bands deserves to be much bigger than they currently are. Okay. Uh, And then the other one I'm going to talk about here because the others all fit together with a little theme. And that is going to be the album War of Being by Tesseract. Uh, I, I like Tesseract. I've been a fan of them since I stumbled across their album one many, many years ago. I think war of being is their best album since one it's heavier. It's groovier. It's proggier. And it's definitely more satisfying than any of the albums they've released, uh, in the last few years, even though I don't think Tesseract actually has a bad album. They just have albums that aren't quite as good. And war of being, I think is one of their best. So, uh, it was a good album. Nice. Very cool. Um, all right. My next award is the biggest fuck you to pop sensibilities award. Um, and that goes to the Mitski album. The land is inhospitable. And so are we, I've talked previously on this very podcast about how her 2022 album, Laurel hell really did not hit for me. Um, for whatever reason, it just, I, I couldn't really get into it. I've since kind of reappraised my thoughts on it, and I like it quite a bit more than I did when it very first came out. Um, and I don't know how much of that is time, how much of that is it just growing on me, how much of that is my sensibilities changing even just in the last year or two. But her newest one that came out in September, Land is Inhospitable and So Are We, really moves in that same vein as Laurel Hell. Um, it's very 
stripped down. It's very um, quiet. Um, you know, there's a lot of choral uh, stuff in it. It's a, just a really uh, interesting kind of folksy orchestral Americana pop album. And I just think it's really incredible. And the reason why I called it the biggest fuck you to pop sensibilities is she's not following the rules anymore. She's not. And this was sort of true of Laurel Hell. It had kind of a mix of like traditionally written pop tunes and then more atypical song construction. She's really leaning into the atypicality of what she's writing here. These are not songs often that go song, chorus, song, chorus, bridge, song, chorus, or verse, chorus. They just are weird. And she's just putting it out there in ways that are not what you're expecting from this type of music. And it really, really worked for me really wonderfully. Cool. All right. So for my next chunk, and again, I'll just apologize. This is big. Let me tell you what happened. When I was going through the music that came out in 2023 and making note of my favorite albums, I ended up with a list of about 30 or so. And then I was going through and I was trying to pick the top ones and I found this thing and that was that there was a shit ton of really, really good death metal or death adjacent this last year, but I didn't want my top 10 to just be death metal. So I had to bump these all down into the, uh, the, uh, honorable mention category. So we're going to run through these quick, Fair. but it's all kind of death metal stuff. So number one, Carnosis visions of infinite, infi, infinity. Yes, it's a complicated word. Anyway, okay. Carnosis, incredible tech death metal. It pummels, it dazzles. It probably should be in my top 10, but I just didn't want there to be any more death metal in the top 10 than there already was. But this album slaps. It is so good. Cursebinder, Drifting, fascinating album. It's this side project from uh, the lead singer of the death metal band, um, oh God, why am I blanking on the name now? I was going to say downfall of Gaia, but it's not downfall of Gaia. Anyway, never mind. This is a side project and it's kind of blackened atmospheric death doom with a lot of layers of keyboards and synths. Really, really cool. Loved it. Uh, obituary dying of everything. Uh, I don't know. Are you familiar at all with the band obituary Eden? I am not. So obituary is one of those like seminal Florida death metal bands. When we think of mm -hmm. kind of early death metal, you know, there's the Florida death metal bands, death, stuff like that. Obviously obituary in the mid eighties started. And then we've got kind of our Swedish death metal. So I knew of obituary, but I'd never listened to them. Their new album dying of everything came out this last year. And it is just really good workmanlike death metal. It's really enjoyable. It is fantastic to lift weights to, because every song is just solid death metal. Good stuff. Uh, nice. Shores of Null, The Loss of Beauty. These guys are kind of death doom. Uh, they're from Greece. Their previous three albums are awesome. Their previous album is basically one, I can't remember if it's like 45-ish minute long song. Really good. Uh, it was sort of my anthem of 2020 because it has this song, it has this line in there that I just thought, uh, I just thought it really fit with uh, the year 2020. And it was something to the effect of, of course, I can't remember it right now off the top of my head, but something to the effect of uh, life has had enough of us. And that just sort of felt like 2020 in a nutshell. 
Um, sure. Their newest album, The Loss of Beauty, is excellent. Um, it is this kind of sad boy death doom. Um, it, this just, you know, it just had really stiff competition to go up against. Convocation, no dawn for the Caliginous Night. <laughs> this would have been in the top 10, I think, had it not come out after Thanksgiving. Had I had more time to sit with this funeral, death, doom, Convocation is just amazing. It is heavy. It is brooding. It just has this palpable sense of just terror and menace to their music that I dig. Uh, and this album was great. It just came out kind of late in the year, so I didn't listen to it that much. All right, just a few more here. Uh, and in one of these, um, again, Rannoch, Conflagrations, incredible progressive death metal. This album is really a breathtaking progression from their previous album, which was a slobber knocker of an album. The only thing that really kept Conflagrations off my top 10 was the fact that I didn't like it as much as those 10 others, in part because the last song, Threnody of a Dying Star, just was a little too long for me. And that's weird, given what you'll hear me mm -hmm. talk about later, uh, but it was about 16 minutes and it didn't feel totally cohesive. And then in the last three, uh, we've got Vinter Sea, Woven into Ashes, uh, blackened progressive death metal with this really powerful dynamic lead vocalist uh, in Avian. She's awesome. She has a beautiful voice. And then she just can rip with the best of them. Just this awesome growls. And um, this is a real step up from their previous couple albums, a nice progression. They feel just really confident on this album. And I dig that. And then my last two are kind of fun. They are all female bands from Brazil. The first one uh, is the band Nervosa and their album Jailbreak. Uh, this is kind of thrash metal with some death overtones. It's great. It's really heavy, really thrashy, uh, very fun, exciting album. And then the other is the, the album Shades of Sorrow by Crypta. Again, all female band from Brazil. They're kind of the inverse of Nervosa where I would call Nervosa thrash metal with death sprinkled on top. Crypta is definitely death metal with some thrash overtones. Uh, it's ugly. It's heavy. It's fierce. You know, you just get the feeling that they want to rip your throat out and laugh at you while they're spitting on your corpse. So it's good stuff. Nice. Uh, all right. My next award, I forgot there was one more that dealt with death, but here we are. <laughs> um, this is the somehow they keep getting creepier award. Um, and that goes to Depeche Mode's album Memento Mori. Okay. Everyone knows Depeche Mode. Of Everyone's course. heard Enjoy the Silence or Personal Jesus. We all know these guys. Here's the thing. They've still been killing it. They've still been killing it. Um, in 2022, however, one of the three dudes who were in Depeche Mode died. Andy Fletcher, who was the keyboarder, died of... Uh, like his aorta exploded or something and his Ooh. chest filled with blood and he just died. Uh, yeah, it sucks. And so this is their first album with just now a duo of uh, Dave Gahan and Martin Gore figuring out, well, what do we do when our collaborator who's been the, like they've had touring musicians and stuff like that, but like these sure. three dudes have been the band since they started in 1980. So they're like, you know, what do we, what do we do? Yeah. Do we still make music? Do we make music as a different project? Do we change our name? We had already had, they had already like started work on this album. 
Um, they hadn't recorded anything, but they were like, you know, tossing, tossing music samples and things back and forth uh, in preparation for it. But they ultimately did end up, uh, you know, recording an album uh, that is almost entirely about death and about dealing with death and what happens after people die. Um, and it's great. It's incredible. Uh, the opening track, My Cosmos is Mine, is the creepiest these guys have ever sound. And, mm-hmm. and that's when you're like, oh yeah, these guys still got it. They can still like ultra era Depeche Mode is back and they are creepy and it's great. Nice. I mean, Depeche Mode is just one of those classic bands. So I've always liked them. Uh, you know, they were obviously way more popular in the eighties than they've ever been since. But like, I have been a fan of them forever. I thought that, you know, They've been doing really cool stuff for a long time. So I was very excited to hear this new album and hear that they were able to still find purpose and joy in making music even after the death of uh, Andy Fletcher. Yeah, definitely. So um, so. getting into my top 10, uh, the first one, I'm I'm cheating a little bit and I'm actually putting two tied in here. Uh, And that's because these two albums are kind of in the, uh, look, life is just sometimes sad category. And on the one hand, we've got the album Distortions by the band Godthrim. Uh, This is just doomy, doom, doom. I mean, that's just Godthrim in a nutshell. Uh, It was started and fronted by former My Dying Bride guitarist Hamish Glencross on this most recent album. His wife helps out with some additional vocals and the two of them... Just the the interplay between their vocals, mm, chef's kiss. Distortion takes this classic doom formula, it polishes it, makes it near perfect. It's moody, atmospheric, groovy doom. And it's one of those albums that the more I listen to it, the more I love it. Uh, it it's a fantastic album. But tied with that album on the doom front is the album Thou Shalt by The Answer Lies in the Black Void. Uh, this is a an international sort of um, uh, collaboration across the ocean with uh, a vocalist, um, which I'm blanking on her name, but she is in the band Thy Catafalque. And uh, the guitarist is uh, over here on our continent. She's a European. Uh, this is just beautiful, haunting, emotive, engaging, kind of captivating doom metal. Uh, both albums, uh, Forlorn, their first one, and Thou Shalt, they're just fantastic albums. And Thou Shalt, you know, it was one of those where at first I'm like, no, Godthrim gets the doom spot. And then the more I listened to Thou Shalt, I was like, mm, you know what? This has got to be right up there with it. It's fantastic. Nice. All right. My next award is the um, award titled 1989 called The Mall in Shibuya Would Like Its Music Back, Please. Um, and that award goes to the album Clickbait by Fresh Apple Slices. Um, I had to put at least some, I had to put at least some vaporwave on here. This was the vape. I, I don't really listen. I'm an album person as a general rule. I like to listen to a whole album. And if the whole album isn't catching me, then I don't usually keep listening to that artist. The only exception to that is Vaporwave and Future Funk playlists, which I will find ones that someone else has put together on Spotify that are like 72 hours long or whatever the hell. <laughs> and just like throw that shit on 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 uh, on uh, shuffle. Um, and so obviously I'm not listening to whole albums there, but 
enough songs that I noticed from this artist, Fresh Apple Slices, were popping up in this. And I was like, oh, this is really, this is catchy. This is really good. Eventually, I clicked through, found this album that came out earlier this year called Clickbait, and it rules. It's just very, very good vaporwave, mixing the sound of late 80s, early 90s anime OPs and fuzzy beats and weird vaporwave stuff. I just thought it was a delightful album and it's my one big vaporwave mention I'll make on this list. Cool. Cool. So my next entry is the band mourn with their album engraved with pain. Uh, Now that right there, listener, that should let you know what kind of album you're getting into. Uh, Mourn slip into that kind of liminal uh, void between classic doom metal and kind of the grimier edges of like classic British crust. Some of the slow burn of post metals there, and you just end up with this really heavy, dark, atmospheric, kind of captivating music. Their previous studio album, To the Night Unknown, came out in 2018. They've had a couple live albums that they put out in between them but they dropped engraved with pain this year, four songs, each one, 10 plus minutes long, brooding, building kind of dynamic. Uh, and just, again, this kind of dread, uh, sense of dread in the music. Interestingly, because of kind of the longer, slower burns of this album, this was this year's writing music. Uh, last year, yes. it happened to be the album Folium Limina by the Otolith. That was what I did most of my NaNoWriMo writing to. Engraved with Pain just happened to be, I don't know, it just kind of created a great atmosphere for me to write in. And it is an excellent album. And I love this band. Nice. My next uh, title is very short for the next award. It is just called Finally. (laughs) And uh, that award goes to The Record by supergroup Boy Genius. Boy Genius is a group made up of three incredible indie musicians, Julian Baker, Phoebe Bridgers, and Lucy Dacus. And their EP, that the self-titled EP that came out in 2018, it was incredible. Introduced me to these three women who I have since gone on to become very big fans of in their own right. They're all doing really incredible work in the kind of melancholic indie folk rocky space. And finally... After five years of waiting, they put out their album. It's just called The Record, and it really shines as as a testament to what a supergroup can do that makes it, if not better than, definitely equal to the sum of its parts. There are lots of times I listen to a supergroup and I'm like, that's fine, but I'd rather just listen to their stuff. Mm-hmm. But this really really works um and comes in between you know the ep came out in 2018 this came out in 2023 all three of them have put out monumental albums between those two um that have you know skyrocketed them to acclaim in the indie rock and alt rock spaces and then this comes out and it's just incredible it's just fucking rules it's just a very 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 solid indie rock album awesome I have heard of them. I've never listened to them, but I've heard a lot about them. So they're very good. Cool. I mean, if you've, if you've seen an, a, a non blockbuster movie in the last five years, it had a Phoebe Bridgers song in it. So you kind of know what you're getting into, <laughs> but yeah. 
Excellent. Well, my next entry is the EP, The Fear of Fear by Spirit Box. So Spirit Box is one of those bands that I kind of have an inconsistent relationship with. Um, I heard of them when their self-titled EP had come out and I listened to it a little bit, lost interest. They dropped a few singles and then I kind of got back on board as they were getting ready to release their first full length album, Eternal Blue. And I was a huge fan of that. Listened to it a bunch. And then kind of what ended up happening was, um, you know, they released some singles uh, in 2022 that were a little more experimental. And that's cool. I, I love it when bands try and do different things. But they just didn't quite click with me. And so I'd kind of, they'd fallen off my radar and they had dropped a few singles from this upcoming EP that were good, but again, they weren't grabbing me. And then they dropped their single Cellar Door. And Cellar Door was just fucking awesome. Like, I love that song. And so all of a sudden I was all back in on Spirit Box. And then the whole EP dropped. It's six songs long. I think it's under 30 minutes. And it's this really cool kind of, the first track is really heavy. Cellar Door might be one of their heaviest songs. No clean vocals whatsoever. Just, just really, really in your face. And then it transitions into Jaded. And Jaded is a bit of a mix. There's some, a lot of clean vocals, a little bit of harsh vocals from Courtney LaPlante, who just, oh, folks, Courtney LaPlante, absolutely incredible vocalist. If you haven't listened to her, she's just amazing. And she can kind of do it all. Has this beautiful, beautiful kind of little bit lower register, almost a little husky kind of voice when she sings clean. She can do these really lovely ethereal light vocals where she'll really get breathy and add a lot more air into there. And then just when she wants to just growl, she can just growl. But then we kind of, you move through this and it's like heavy song sort of in between song a little bit. Then like the third song is a lot lighter, a lot more melodic, a lot more atmospheric. And then the fourth song angel eyes comes in and again, just kicks you in the teeth, super heavy, really eclectic. And then it kind of goes through the cycle. So it kind of takes you on this nice little journey through the six songs, the 30 minutes. And, uh, I listened to this EP because it is so nice and quick and easy to get through just sort of over and over and over again. Uh, and it is spirit box just sounding as good, if not better than they've ever sounded. Nice. All right. My next award is disco is back, baby, which goes to the album that exclamation point feels exclamation point. Good exclamation point by Jesse Ware. If you told me this album came out in 1981, I would say, damn, who got such clean production in 1981? But I wouldn't say the music didn't belong there because it sounds like a disco album from 1981, which is great. <laughs> it's very, very fun to listen to. It's very fun dance music. Um, really embodies the best things that I like about disco and I just think was a real delight. Nice. Excellent. So my next one is the album of Golden Verse by the band Sermon. So Sermon is a mysterious project. Nobody really knows who the main person in Sermon is, even though they've been around for about five years now. Um, it is uh, their first album came out again in 2019. And the follow-up this last year of Golden Verse is excellent. It's kind of dark, emotional, progressive, very, very drum centered. This is kind of my drum album of the year. I like double bass, 
but it's one of those things that can easily be overdone and too much. And, and, and one of the things that the drummer in sermon does is it is, I mean, it's just so dynamic and a lot of use of the toms and, and the snares and it is incredibly propulsive dynamic. It is awesome. And the music really is again, at times, you know, pretty heavy and aggressive other times, very sort of meditative ethereal with just sort of keyboards and stuff. Um, this was a great album. Their previous one was great. I mean, both of these albums are top tier and uh, it was really exciting to get some more sermon this year. Nice. Very cool. Uh, my next award is maybe the one with the best title. Um, it is uh, funniest references to lesbian coitus award. Um, and <laughs> yep, that you win, a, you win some prize. I don't know what prize, but you win a prize. For that title. <laughs> uh, no, who wins a prize is Chapel Roan for her album, the rise and fall of a Midwest princess, which is kind of a fun indie pop art pop album. Um, that is basically about what happens when you are a Christian girl from the Midwest who comes out as queer and is disowned by her family, but then is having the time of her life, having a lot of great sex with a lot of great women. Um, it's a very fun album. It's got some real bangers. If you've been on TikTok, you've heard some some bars from this album because it was got it got a lot of play on TikTok more than one of her. Uh, more than one of her songs did casual specifically is an incredible song um and really encapsulates uh as far as i understand it not being a lesbian lesbian relationships because it's like going from zero to 100 in six seconds flat that's how they do it and that's what that song is about and it's really great there you go so my next album was an interesting one um imagine if you can the bright colors the neon glow the vibe of either Miami Vice or even, you know, for people not quite as old as me, think of GTA Vice City. Now take that aesthetic, that vibe, and blend it with modern metalcore. And you get the band Knight Rider and their debut album, Knight Rider. So Knight Rider was born from the ashes of the band Affiance. And I liked Affiance a lot. They were really melodic, great. Their vocalist just, he's got an incredible voice. And a couple years ago, they said they were calling it quits. And I was bummed, you know, I was disappointed because they'd really kind of hit their stride, their last full, I guess technically it's an EP, but their last album, Gaia, was by far their best work. And so it was a little bit of a bummer to see them disappear. And then all of a sudden last year, maybe it was even 2021, uh, this band Knight Rider releases a cover of the Kate Bush song, Running Up That Hill as it was getting, you know, super popular again because of stranger things. And I was like, sure. that sounds exactly like the dude from Affiance. And so I go and I'm looking into it and I'm like, yeah, that is, it's totally the lead vocalist. And I'm like, okay, cool. Another place for me to listen to him. And then the album Knight Rider drops and the whole album, again, just think of that, that neon bright GTA vice city vibe with this modern production, chuggy, heavy guitars, great breakdowns. And then just amazing, powerful vocals. And, and I'm looking into it and come to find out this is literally the band Affiance. It's the exact same band. They just wanted to make this shift in their sound and kind of how they were presenting themselves. So they killed the one band and they started a new band with a new name. And it seems nice. like it would be a gimmick, but it totally works. It is so good. It is like 
what if again, eighties metal, but modern sounding. And this is like, this is what we wish the eighties maybe sound. It's a cool, cool album. And I just keep coming back to it because it is so much fun to listen to. Nice. That sounds really fun. Uh, my next one is the, I like it despite the pronunciation error award. Um, and that goes to pink Friday Two gag city deluxe by Nicki Minaj. Ah, It's, it's very fun. It's like 25 tracks long. I almost called it the, why did you put so many fucking tracks on here? Nikki (laughs) award, but also it's just very funny in this one song where she says high heels on my tippies, Dulce and Gabbana on my titties. (laughs) And it's like, babe, it's gold. It's Dolce. It's Dolce. (laughs) Um, other than that, it's a banger record. It's got some real heavy hitters. Again, if you watched TV in the last year, you've probably heard three songs off this, uh, off this album. It's great. It's, it's fun. I get over the fact that she says Dulce and Gabbana and it's fine. (laughs) There, you know, I mean, you just have to, sometimes you got to make sacrifices. Sometimes you do. You know, other than that, it's a pretty damn fun album. Excellent. So my next album on this list, I won't talk about too long because I did talk about it earlier last year when it was released, uh, but that is the band Exel from Neobliviscaris from Australia. Uh, I have loved them since day one when their first album, Portal of Eye, was released in 2012. Uh, honestly, I've been a supporter of theirs on Patreon for years now. Uh, their last album came out in 2017, and then we had to wait six full years until we got Exel. Exel, I think, is... While not my favorite Neobliviscaris album, I think it's actually their best. And it does, again, has their absolute best composition ever, in my opinion. And that is the two-parter Misericord, part one and two. It is beautiful. It is aggressive at times. It is contemplative at times. The way that Tim Charles works his violin throughout all the songs and makes it such an integral part of the music It never feels like it's a gimmick that's just being thrown in, but you can totally feel that the songs were written, understanding that the violin is one of the key players. It's almost like they have three vocalists. They have Zen, who's the harsh vocalist, Tim, who does the clean vocals, and then you've got the violin, which really they treat it as if it were an additional vocalist in the band. Uh, And it's it's an excellent album, and it was well worth the six-year wait. Nice. All right, my next award is, I know this came out in 2022 technically, but it was mid-December, so it fucking counts. Award. <laughs> totally counts. And that goes to SOS by SZA, SZA. It's her, it's her sophomore album. I have talked at length about how Control, I don't know, maybe not on this podcast, but in my life, I've talked about Control. Her debut album was incredible. Uh, it was sensational, and I was like, I don't know how she's going to follow this up. She can't possibly top it. And then she topped it. SOS is an incredible album. Just the nastiest, most beautiful R&B all the way down. Nice. She's got an incredible voice. She sounds like a million bucks. It's very, very fun. Excellent. So my next entry is, uh, and this is, again, one where there's another album that could have been here that I'm going to briefly mention uh, and I, I can't even like, I can't pronounce, I don't speak Icelandic, um, but there is an Icelandic black metal band, Arstider Ilsfins. Their most recent album that came out, it's just two songs, 20 minutes long, each song. So 40 minutes long, excellent black metal, but the black metal album that really got its hooks into me this year was black braid Two 
by the band Black Braid. Black metal is a little tricky, for me at least. It's tricky because of a lot of reasons. There's a lot of baggage associated with black metal. Characteristically, it has had absolute dog shit production that sounded raw, grating, and lyrically kind of often moved in places that just weren't for me. I mean, when you've got bands where lead vocalists are murdering other lead vocalists, maybe there's something going on in your Jesus. music. Yeah. Uh, that's if you go back to like the, the late 80s, early 90s of black metal. It's dark. Sure. It's dark. Yeah, it is. At the same time, one of the things that has been really interesting about black metal is it has become this incredible area for creativity where artists tend to imbue something about themselves into it, uh, their heritage, geography, something like that. I mean, we've got the band second to sun that all of their music is built on Russian folklore and folk tales with folk melodies turn into just this nasty black metal. We've got Saur that infuses its black metal with the melodies and the instruments of the Scottish Highlands. Winter Phyleth does the same, but more the Moors of England. Agaloc really embodied the Pacific Northwest with their sound. Falls of Raros sure. did it, but more in kind of the cold mountains of New England. Uh, Wayfarer sort of blends black metal with the expanses of the American West. Enter Black Braid. So Black Braid is an American black metal band. Um, fronted by a guy whose name I'm not even going to try and say because I'm going to pronounce it wrong. Uh, but he is a, an indigenous American. That is his heritage. And he brings that in. He brings in, you know, some of the flutes, the instrumentation, the sound, and melds that with black metal. And it is fantastic. The first album kind of felt like a bit of a teaser. Didn't feel like a complete album. Black Braid 2 is fully fleshed out and supremely confident in what it is. And one of the things that I love that they do on this album that's really cool is you'll get a short acoustic interlude, often with some of that flute, that will then be the guitar melody that goes into the next album and will be sort of the key uh, central melodic motif for the next full song. And it's really kind of cool to get this little acoustic taste of it. And then you get the fully fleshed out songs. It's a great album. I've been listening to it a ton. Uh, and it is, it is fierce, fiery, powerful music uh, that I find incredibly moving and incredibly interesting. Nice. That's very cool. My next award is the Sex, Sex, Absolute Sex Award. <laughs> and that goes to The Age of Pleasure by Jadelle Monet, which is the horniest album on my list uh, by a, a very large margin, even more than the uh, Chapel Roan album, which is saying something. It is an album about pleasure, and that is all the album is about. She's still got one of the best voices in all of pop and R&B music, and she's just doing incredible work living her luxurious, hedonistic, liberated lifestyle. So good for them. I misgendered them. I realized, I just found out recently, Janelle Monet came out as non-binary and uses they, them pronouns. So good for them. Sorry I misgendered you, Janelle. Album slaps. It's beautiful. It's great. It's awesome. Next. Excellent. So we're getting into the last couple here on my list. The next one is in some ways a surprise that it's here and in other ways, not a surprise at all. And that is the album Holocene by the ocean. A, not a surprise that it's here at all because the ocean has been on a tear. I mean, starting with, uh, Oh yeah. Lee jail and moving on from there, you know, just album after album, they have been establishing themselves 
as one of the most interesting bands in metal with this post progressive, just expansive, really, really cool stuff. Oh yeah. But surprising that it's on here because when this album came out, I remember sitting at dinner with friends. We were going to go see Yob down in Salt Lake. And we were talking about this album because it had recently come out. And both myself and this other couple, both of whom were total metalheads, we all kind of looked at each other and we said, you know what? I think Holocene might be the ocean's worst album. Uh-huh. Fast forward to a couple months later, we were on a trip. I was driving somewhere and I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to listen to it again. And I listened to the whole thing. And it was just like something opened up to me to the point that I now think Holocene may be very close to, if not the best album the ocean has ever made. It is. And it's interesting. This is primarily written by their keyboardist. And there's a lot of buzz online. People saying, well, they shouldn't have made this an official, the ocean release. They should. And I said, no. And I, as I listened to it, I thought, no, this is a band who is so confident in who they are and the quality of what they can do that they said, yeah, let's take this thing that feels a little different. That is very atmospheric, very keyboard heavy, very sort of moody and groovy at times. And, but we're going to put our name on it because this is us still doing something we believe in. It doesn't mean that it isn't heavy. There's still wonderful parts of metal in here, but the way the songs build and ebb and flow and, It is such a cool album. And just the more I listened to it, the more convinced I was that everybody who dislikes this album, I really think they just didn't give it a chance. I'm going to have to check it out. I have not listened to the last couple, three albums that the Oceans put out, but I remember really liking them back when I was listening to them. You know, I think, and I could be wrong, and please tell me if I am, but I think with where your musical tastes are these days, I actually think you're going to like this album way more than some of their others. I mean, it is good to know. Like there's some just really cool electronic elements, but then we'll build. And again, just the stuff they do on this with the dynamics, it is, Oh, it's top notch stuff. Nice. All right. My next award is the fuzz. uh, Yes. That's three Z's award. And that goes to born under a mad sun by church of misery. Are you familiar with Church of Misery at all, Peter? I am not. They feel like a thing that you would be interested in as a dalliance, not as like a long-term thing. Church of Misery is actually a Japanese doom metal band. Okay. I'm totally checking them out now. Started back in the 90s. It's not not super doomy as some of the other stuff you've listened to. The closest thing is like, it would be like, what if some Japanese dudes decided to take black Sabbath's style and then make it the heaviest shit you've ever heard in your fucking yeah, life? No, that's what, that's what I'm reading here is, is black Sabbath style doom. And I'm going, yeah, all right, yeah. Oh, I'm gonna it's great. Almost all of their songs are about serial killers. <laughs> um, and that is also true of born under a mad sun. Almost all of the songs are about different serial killers. It's not like you can understand what's being sung anyway. It's just the heaviest gnarliest doom. Uh, it's really fun. I think you'll like it. I found it delightful when I found them. It's a really interesting thing because like they've had so many dudes. There's been one dude. The main dude in this band is the only one who's been on every album. <laughs> cycles through player. people nonstop. Yeah. 
And uh, the, the original vocalist came back for this album 30 plus years after he left the band. It's hilarious that he came back, but it sounds great. And it's a very fun album. I really enjoyed it. Excellent. Definitely looking forward to checking that one out. All right. My second to last spot. Uh, this would be the uh, gets the award of uh, most self-indulgent perhaps. Uh, and that would be the album future shadow part one, the clandestine gate by, uh, Oregon doomsters bell, Witch. this is doom, but this is funeral doom. And the more I think okay. about it, the more I think that funeral doom might be the very least accessible subgenre in all of music. Uh, people are going to be put off by the fact that it's metal. Then add in the harsh growly vocals, the incredibly mm-hmm. slow pace of the music that vacillates somewhere between 40 to 60 beats per minute. Oh, and the fact that the albums tend to be extremely long. For example, clandestine gate is a single song that is 83 minutes long. Yikes. Furthermore, it is part one of a planned triptych of albums, each of which will be approximately the same and will perfectly again, reportedly blend into each other with the third song cycling back around to the beginning of the first. So basically we have an Aurorboros of funeral doom that will be nigh unto four plus hours long that could then continue indefinitely again, a little bit navel gazy. However, these guys do it so, so well. Their previous album, 2017's um, Mirror Reaper, was just an incredible album that was sort of a celebration of the life and the mourning of the death of their original drummer. Bell Witch is two people. It is a bass guitar and a drummer. That's it. All of the guitar is bass. And it gets super fuzzy at times, but it's also very clean at times. They've got organs. It is, again, very slow ultra plotting thematically heavy, but it is so almost meditative and contemplative. So once I finally got into mirror reaper, I was, I fell so hard for the band. The clandestine gate was announced on April 18th of this last year. And then much to everybody who's a fan of the band's joy actually released three days later on the 21st. So basically they announced they were releasing it and then dropped it again, just like mirror reaper, 83 minutes long, a single song comprised of really sort of four movements, which make it sort of perfect to put on vinyl because you get one movement on each side. Um, sure. It is, uh, it is so good. It is so, so good and such a delight to listen to but I will absolutely admit it is a huge investment to get into. And there will be a lot of people who will be turned off. And I think justifiably so because of how inaccessible it is. But for me, once I got into this band, I love them. I love what they do. It is just so, again, it creates such an atmosphere and uh, the clandestine gate part one, excuse me, future shadow part one was fantastic. Very excited for the next two parts. Very cool. All right. My uh, penultimate one is uh, the name is kind of a uh, callback to one of the earlier awards. It is emo is back, baby. (laughs) And that goes to chaos takes the wheel and I am a passenger 
by the artist Awake But Still In Bed, who is this uh, single woman who creates all of this on her own, does all the layering, does it like basically in her house, but does like just really solid Midwest style uh, emo that just hit just the right way. I haven't, I went through an emo phase I really liked it for a lot of everyone has to go through their brand new phase. I went through my brand new phase and I still like them, but I don't listen to them very often these days, but for whatever reason, awake, but still in bed just hit. And I really had a very good time with it. And if you want some good Midwest style emo, it's right there for you. Excellent. Well, so my num my, my, and this truly is the number one album. This one takes the, the number one spot. And it okay. shocks me. It this gets the I mean the award of this album is most unexpected album of the year. I was aware of the band Cattle Decapitation, but I never listened to them. The name is just kind of pushes you away, and I've never it really does. been into bands like grindcore or gore grind anything like that. I was never interested. And then their album Terrasite came out. Okay. So Terracite drops in 2023 and one day just for fun, John, uh, one of the nurses in the OR that he and I've gone to a bunch of concerts together, just, I don't know, for shock value, just because I can, because I'm the surgeon and I get to put on whatever music I want in the OR. We thought it'd be funny to throw on some cattle decapitation about halfway through the song. He and I looked at each other and we were like, holy shit, this is good. Cattle yeah. Decapitation, I think, has come a long way from their gore grind days. They are really death metal with some technical death metal and melodic death metal overtones. And this is very fast, very aggressive, very heavy. It assaults your ears like somebody's just sticking a sandblaster in your ear canal and just, you know, scouring it raw and bloody. The vocals Absolutely. vacillate between these low death growls, these higher blackened shrieks, these distorted, I can only really call them goblin-esque singing vocals, <laughs> and then some actual cleans that when Travis Ryan deploys them are so incredibly effective. Then you kind of come to find out more about the band and the more I kind of like them. Um, they don't consider themselves vegan. I think I was reading something where they consider themselves vegetarians because they try to be vegan. But at the same time, they're like, look, when we're on the road and we're having to get by, we don't know if something's got some egg in it or dairy. So we can't be vegan and we're not going to be crazy about it, but we're going to try and do our best to be kind to the earth and be kind to animals. And all of the lyrics are very much, um, you know, there's a lot of problems with earth. And the number one problem is the humans that are the parasites on sure. top of it, AKA the title of the album, Terracite. And, you know, there's, there's an ethos, there's a conviction to what they're doing that I appreciate. Um, I, I just, and then the music is incredible. I mean, it was, it is so heavy, but at the same time it is, it's melodic. It's powerful. Uh, I would have never, ever thought that I would listen to cattle decapitation, let alone that they would be at the very top of my spot. But there is un, it is unquestionable that Terracite is the album I listened to the most this year and that I, uh, I, I love, love, love this album. And I never, ever expected that would be the case. Yeah, it's really good. It nearly made my list. Um, I 
you know, I just talked about how I went through an emo phase. I also went through a gore grind phase. I was listening to Pig Destroyer. I was listening to Cattle Decapitation back when they were a gore grind band. So then when you brought them up a few months ago and you were like, yeah, I've been listening to this. And I was like, should I check Cattle Decapitation out again? <laughs> and I did. And guess what? They are still really good. They still are very good at yeah. making music. So, yeah. yeah, it's very good. It is. It is. All right. Hit us with uh, your do award. I, Oh, go ahead. As I, as I listen to it, do I worry a little too much of like mm, veering into the eco-fascism a little bit, guys? <laughs> yes. Do I still listen to it and just not think about that part? Also, yes. Yeah, you know. All right. My last award um, was a late entry. This was an album I started listening to just yesterday, and then I was like, I got to put this on here as a joke. It is the Sometimes I Would Like My House to Sound Like F-Boy Island Award. <laughs> um and that goes to a fountain baby by Amaray. This sounds like the background music for the party scenes in F boy Island listener. <laughs> if you haven't listened, watched F boy Island, go watch F boy Island. Yeah. My wife thought it was a very entertaining show. I, I, I have to um, admit I haven't watched it. So, you know, it's, it's bad in all of the best ways. That's okay. how I feel about F boy Island. Excellent. Um, but you know, if you want your house to sound like a slutty club, then Fountain Baby is right there for you. And you can be like, wow, sure sounds like those party scenes from F-Boy Island, but it's I'm just sitting here on my computer desk with my dogs around me. <laughs> so that would be my last award, just as a fun little thing. I thought it was a delightful album. I've listened to it a bunch in the last two days, but uh, a very late addition to my list. There you go. Well, anything else you want to mention before we wrap it up? We've been going a little long. We had a lot of stuff to talk about today, so... I don't have anything else. It was a, it was a pretty good year for music all told. You know, it's funny. I was initially thinking, boy, I'm going to have a hard time making a list of 10 things. And uh, as the listeners will clearly see, I had a hard time making a list of 10 things, but because I was trying to cut down to 10 instead of fill 10. So, you know, it was, it was a good year. Indeed it was. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, until next time, if you want to reach out to us, you're welcome to do so. Feedback at themiddleofculture.com. And uh, please subscribe, share, leave a five-star rating, give us a review, all those things. We would welcome it. Uh, and until next time, where I have a feeling, I have a feeling we might be talking about some Godzilla. Uh, we'll talk Just to you guys all then. Talk to you later. <laughs>